Welcome to the Center Square Radio Hour. I'm your host, Chris Krug, president of the Franklin News Foundation and publisher of the Center Square. We are recording this on Wednesday, November 22nd, and today I am at home in suburban Chicago for Thanksgiving. In observance of the holiday, this show will be 30 minutes in length. We built the Center Square Newswire service to address the shortcomings of legacy media, both in state and federal reporting. The Center Square Newswire delivers more than 60 original straight news stories each day from across the country. Each of those stories helping Americans understand what elected officials and bureaucrats in state and federal government are doing on behalf of the taxpaying public in their home state and across the nation. On this week's Center Square Radio Hour, we'll explore the top stories with the reporters who broke them, from those originating in Washington, D.C., to the oftentimes underreported stories that occur in the states but hold national relevance. We round out our coverage with economic insights today from Dr. Orfe Divangi, PhD economist, and also bring you the latest in K-12 public education news from our Franklin News Foundation's Chalkboard News Team. The Center Square is a 501c3 independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization to ensure that the Center Square continues to deliver the news like no other media outlet in America today. We ask that you go to franklinnews.org and make a tax-deductible charitable contribution to support the Center Square and the Center Square Radio Hour. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to check in with the reporting team on a number of stories that made headlines this past week. In national news, the House continues its impeachment inquiry into President Biden and his family's overseas business dealings. In education news, 80% of parents report their children get B's or better despite a majority of students failing to meet grade-level expectations on standardized tests. In economic news, with Thanksgiving comes Black Friday and holiday shopping. We will be right back with all of that and more in the Center Square Radio Hour. Knowledge is power, and you deserve to know what happens in your state government. That's why the Center Square's reporting zeroes in on state authorities publishing stories that show where your money goes and who spends it. The Center Square gives power to the taxpayer by tracking politicians' use of the people's money and demanding transparency from state-run agencies. This is how the Center Square equips you, the American taxpayer, to hold your state government accountable. Sign up now for your state's Center Square newsletter at thecentersquare.com. Welcome back to the Center Square Radio Hour. I'm Chris Krug. The House inquiry into the Biden family has continued with more subpoenas and questions about classified documents that President Biden had in his possession from his days as vice president. Dan McHale, vice president for news and content of the Franklin News Foundation and executive editor for the Center Square is here to tell us more. Joining me again today is the Center Square's Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief, Casey Harper. You have been reporting at thecentersquare.com on the ongoing U.S. House investigation into the Biden family's overseas business dealings and whether President Joe Biden, when he was vice president under Barack Obama, used his family name to help secure millions of dollars in cash for his family and whether he personally financially benefited from it. Uh, You were writing uh, an update on that story today, Casey. Tell us a little bit about it. Yes, I am. I mean, there's been so many updates this month that I think have gone unnoticed. The, you know, uh, former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy kicked off this impeachment inquiry earlier this year, which took it from just kind of a congressional, you know, um, investigation that was sort of never ending into a, hey, we're going to find some facts. We're going to put something together and determine if the House should actually pursue articles of impeachment against the president because the scandal is that bad. And so they got James Comer, who leads the uh, Republican from Kentucky, who leads the House Oversight Committee, 
They got um, Jason Smith and Jim Jordan, who also um, chair Ways and Means and Judiciary Committee, um, respectively. And so they're cobbled together to form this impeachment inquiry. And so they've been digging in more and more. And if you watch the the media, especially cable news, I'm not sure why you would, but in the recent years about the scandal, a refrain that you've heard many times from kind of democratic pundits or political strategists is that there's no evidence that the president was involved. Basically, that Biden was involved. There's no evidence, no evidence, no evidence. You hear that over and over. But what's been fascinating to watch is potentially evidence and come out in these recent weeks. And so what does that look like? It looks like copies of checks, um, totaling $240,000 going directly to President Biden. Now, right now, I don't think we have full clarity on exactly what was going on and why those checks were sent. But $240,000 is no small amount of money. Uh, and we can comment on that in a minute. But just to give you a few of the updates, the most relevant and most recent is Comer sent a flurry of subpoenas, actually, to um, you know Hunter Biden business associates, people who worked on Hunter Biden's paintings, which I'm sure you have one hanging over your mantle, one of these Hunter Biden paintings that are several hundred thousand dollars. Is Those, that a market? <laughs> I, did, I was not aware of that. Is that a market driven price or is that just the Biden family? That is, you know, uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure, Dan. So what is a market price in the art market, uh, which is kind of notoriously used by the wealthy to evade taxes and do other things, um, not just to buy family if, if they did do it for that reason. But of course, that's been under scrutiny because when you have the son of a vice president or president who's getting huge sums of money, big loans for his quote unquote art, when he was in, you know, not exactly known for an artist before his father went into politics or even in recent years, it seems a little convenient. It does it pass the smell test. And I think if it was just that alone, it probably wouldn't be enough to get anybody in trouble. Uh, but there's just so many things going on. As you said, you know, over tw- I think it's uh, over $24 million is the latest figure from the House Oversight Committee uh, that the Biden family and associates raked in from several countries overseas. Um, including adversarial nations. So we're talking China, Russia, as well as Ukraine, um, Romania, Kazakhstan. And so um, these, you know, this money is allegedly being shuffled through a lot of shell companies and ending up some of it allegedly in the president's bank account. So Comer sent several subpoenas. A former White House counsel, um, Dana Remus, is a notable one. And why this is notable, and this is probably the biggest development, Dan, I'll pass it over back to you after this. But yeah, as you know, Biden had his own issues with classified documents. Um, he had them in his garage with his Porsche. He had some in um, the Penn Biden Center office in Washington, D.C., and that was from his time as vice president. So he held on to these classified documents. Now, notably, Former President Donald Trump is facing criminal charges for doing the exact same thing. Biden has not yet been charged. It's unclear if he will be charged. But what they want to get to the bottom of is some of these classified documents were reportedly maybe about Ukraine, which, of course, is a country that the Biden family allegedly got a lot of money from. Um, so these could this yeah, I, I classified just, documents case intersect with the foreign payments case is the big development and the big question. Interesting, Casey, and all of this is unraveling. You know, we're now less than a year away from the presidential election that takes place in November 2024. This has got to be, a, at the minimum, a big headache for the, for the president and his campaign. Um, as this goes forward, as new, new information is released, I mean, is Biden's, you know, kind of sort of lock on the Democratic um, nomination for president for his reelection, is that in jeopardy in any way because of this? Yeah, I mean, it, it 
it depends on how you ask and how far down the Twitter rabbit hole you want to go. I mean, I think um, right now in the polling, Biden is pretty much unmatched in, among Democrats. They're not really willing to jump ship for any of the potential contenders, um, even people who've been talked about like Gavin Newsom. Right now, I think they're willing to toe the party line and just stick with the incumbent, which is pretty normal. I mean, uh, it's pretty hard to get an incumbent president off the nomination. So right now they're sticking with him. But the polling, our polling, the Center Square Voters Voice poll that we released shows that um, Biden doesn't do very well against the leading Republicans. He gets trounced by Nikki Haley, the former ambassador, as well as he, get, you know, he loses to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, he does beat um, President Trump in our poll, but other polls, basically the polling shows that it, it could be a dead heat. And in battleground states, it looks like Trump actually has an edge on Biden. Right. He had some um, advantages in battleground mm-hmm. states. Exactly. So that's got to be worrying a lot of Democrats. You know, the president's getting older. He's seeming the, the, the ongoing criticism of his mental health and his mental faculties being um, at 100 percent. You know, I, will the Democrats ride it out with him? Uh, will they try to find some way to replace him? But it's risky because a trusted incumbent who was able to beat Trump last time. I mean, who who would you want instead of him? And can Democrats agree on someone who would actually be better than Biden, who could get the moderate votes and appeal to a similar demographic as Trump? It definitely has political implications going into an election season. But, man, who knows a year out? Well, thank you for your insight, Casey. But we are out of time. Listeners can keep up with this story and more at thecentersquare.com. Thanks to our D.C. team for that update. A new report from Gallup and Learning Heroes shows that grades may not be giving parents enough information about how their child is really performing. Let's go back to Dan McCaleb for more on this story. Joining me again today is Brendan Clary, Chatport's K-12 editor. How are you, Brendan? I'm doing all right, Dan. Trying to stay warm here. How about you? Same thing there, Brendan. Hey, we are recording this on Monday, November 20th. Brendan, it's Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to some uh, some sides. Oh, I was going to ask, what's your favorite Thanksgiving Day side? I like them all. I, I mostly like pie, though. That's that's my thing is the pie the next morning with coffee. That's where it's at. Oh, the leftovers are definitely sometimes even better than the, the first day of the meal. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, Brendan, a, a new Gallup poll of parents of K-12 through students found that while most parents think their child is on the right track academically, and I'm quoting straight from your story here from chalkboardnews.com, most parents uh, think their child is on the right track academically based on their grades. Test scores show the majority of students are not actually performing at grade level. The poll found that almost 80% of parents said their students received at least B grades, but that is contradicted by other data that shows that fewer than 50% of students meet standardized test scores that show grade level proficiency. Brendan, what does this mean? Are parents misinformed? Yeah, I, I think that's a big question, Dan. And basically, yeah, what, what you're pointing to and what the, the Gallup poll and the, it's, it's also a foundation called Learning Heroes, what, what that kind of points to, I think, is that there is sort of a discrepancy there between, you know, how students are doing, maybe even based on their grades. Uh, that might be like the wider issue that, you know, schools are, you know, saying students are doing well academically, but it's based on maybe daily performance, right? Maybe they're doing like a quiz or they're doing some kind of uh, attendance-based sort of thing, like maybe like a participation sort of grade, and that can help show they're, they're doing pretty well in their class. But on these test scores, which uh, the, the analysis um, from Gallup and, and Learning Heroes found was that, you know, on, on the whole, uh, most of 
the the students in this country are not hitting these benchmarks for different tests uh, that show, you know, how successful are you going to be in college? You know, they, they have good predictors of success after you graduate from high school, right? And so there is sort of this disparity there. And exactly what you're asking is like, that's sort of the broader issue. And then a smaller, more, you know, family-based level is if your student is getting mostly Bs, you know, but maybe they're getting like Cs on on what's really important, like a couple of big exams or like a, a big paper or something like that, then what does that mean overall? So I guess like there might be also maybe like more of a, a smaller disparity, maybe a, like a B minus can mean a lot of different things in terms of like how students are progressing academically, right? And so that's sort of the the problem. And it's sort of a separate problem is that there's a, a thing called gradeflation, right? Does a B not mean what it used to? And that is that is a concern that, you know, I think that this report brings up is if uh, students are behind academically at this nationwide level, and it seems like they're doing okay to their parents, then they're not going to be concerned. And so that's something else that that was flagged in this report and this analysis of of the the polling data, is that parents are very concerned when this is flagged for them when when they find out, hey, my student is is behind grade level, they're very concerned and they want to do everything that they can. So it's not like parents are out of the loop. But I think sometimes it can be hard to understand and and complicating this. And this is something that we've written about at Chalkboard as well, is that there's sometimes different grading scales now than there used to be. So some have, uh, you know, a one to five proficiency scale. And that's very different than, you know, A, B, C, D, and F that, you know, maybe we uh, we were used to. And so that can be something that sort of, con- you know, makes it even more confusing, can make it more difficult for parents to navigate, even ones who are very invested in their children's success. Brendan, does any of the data here, does it get into the effects or the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and school closures? You, know, we've, you and I have talked a lot about you know, learning loss suffered, suffered during that time. Does the pandemic, did it worsen, for example, this disconnect between what parents think their child is doing and or how well their child is doing versus how well their child is actually doing? Does that have anything to do with it? You know, it, it might because of, well, so, you know, yeah, basically school districts and schools across the country at that time, they they said, you know, we're going to let students graduate. We're not going to punish them. And, that, and I've talked to researchers who said this very thing. They said, we're not going to punish students for a global pandemic that's outside of our control and outside of their control. Like, it's not fair that they're not able to graduate because they're not they're not receiving the level of instruction that they were before the pandemic, right? And so they had to lower the standards. And I talked to one one researcher this summer uh, who said he called it COVID credentials, and that's something that we've talked before about, Dan. And and so I think that that might be going into play here is that you know students are getting a B in class, but they're not getting a B on the same material that they would have two years ago. Uh, you know, if if they're the COVID cohort, so that they are getting a different quality of education. So that means something different. Is that sort of like a post-COVID versus pre-COVID like bell curve? Well, it might it might be. I think that that data is still kind of coming, right? Because we're, we're sort of just now seeing the freshman class, uh, you know, 2019, who 2019, 2020, they were the first, you know, high school students. Like we're starting to get that test squad data back. And that's, you know, what we found at the ACT scores earlier this year that came out. You know, that there was the sixth year of decline in a row. And so it's still very, very negative. So it, it might be that we're starting to see some some of that sort of go back up and that, you know, there are more of these uh, bigger standards and that's going to have less of an impact, right, as we as we go on. But I, that data is not quite in yet. So I think it's kind of hard to say how that's going to play out. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a good question. So, yeah, so even if your child brings home mostly bees, parents still need to get involved in their children's education, communicate with their children's teachers, 
and administrators. Thank you, Brennan, for your insight into this. Um, but that's all the time we have. Listeners can keep up with this story and all stories related to K-12 education at chalkboardnews.com. Thank you to Dan and Brendan for that update. As the holiday season kicks off, the season of holiday sales has been going on for a while already. Joining me to dig into the economics of this year's shopping season is PhD economist Dr. Orfe Divangi. Dr. O, this is Thanksgiving week, and it's a it's a glorious time here in the United States. I know it's one of your favorite holidays. I love Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. I just I just don't like the turkey. Oh, we're gonna work on that. We're we're gonna work on that. This used to be the launch point for Christmas and holiday sales. Black Friday is, I guess, would be what November twenty fourth. The fact of the matter is, the industry's changed. That quote unquote Black Friday has started earlier and earlier. I mean, I think it's going back now to maybe even like the day after Halloween, so November first, that sales start to started to appear. Early Black Friday sales are just part and parcel to the way that 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 retailers go to market. Um, given all of what is going on in the economy and has gone on in the economy, uh, what do you think that this quote unquote Black Friday selling season is going to look like? How much are American consumers going to be participating in this this year? Well, I, I, look, given everything we've seen in the past year, is inflation higher or lower than it was a year ago? It's lower. So that's actually improved uh, purchasing power. You have a real wages uh, that had decreased in 2022 have been increasing again in 2023. Financial wealth increased this year. Uh, stock market did tremendous. In fact, I saw a Bloomberg article saying that the profit recession ends as a challenging holiday season begins, right? Firms, S&P 500 firms are reporting positive profits in the third quarter. Um, you know, consumers came back strong in the summer. The question is, do they still have a lot of room, right? I mean, we see the headlines for credit cards, uh, credit card uh, increasing with with interest costs increasing, credit card debts increased as well. You know, that it's really a big question. I think a lot of people expect uh, sales to increase again for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but they probably uh, and people, but people expect them to be lower than they were a year ago. Uh, because, I mean, 2022 was, despite inflation, right, uh, was unbelievable in terms of uh, holiday sales. Uh, and that was probably due to the fact that we were sitting on uh, on record excess savings. The, the, the excess savings have come down substantially since then, right? And the labor market has also cooled since, you know, we, we I think we've, seen the unemployment rate increase about 50 basis points since April. And so all of these factors tell me that perhaps, you know, consumers will pull back a little bit, but I wouldn't bet against the U.S. consumer, right? Uh, as long as the unemployment rate's 3.9%, as long as inflation's come down from a year ago and wage growth has continued to, to outpace, as now is now outpacing inflation, uh, I I wouldn't bet against the consumer. So 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 this, I said all this just to basically conclude that I think the consumer is going to come out again to shop because that's just part of the U.S. culture, the consumer culture in this country. I think that's hard to disagree with. That, that you know, if there is one thing that Americans know how to do, it's spend a dollar, whether they have the dollar 
or don't have the dollar, they can spend that dollar. And this time of the year seems to drive a particular behavior that is, I mean, it's just, it's, it's historical. I mean, we spend a lot of money at this time of year and, and I don't see that slowing down. There've been years where literally access to cash, I'm mean, going back to my childhood, you know, I mean, in the, in the, in the late 1970s, I mean, those were, those were really, really tough economic times, but even through, you know, the housing recession, 2008 to, 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 you know, to 2011, 2000, I guess, 2007 to 2011, from some places it, it went on longer. Um, retail sales at, at, at the holiday season still are sig- significant. Uh, I mean, and, and almost un- unchanged that we will spend and spend and spend. That's right. I, I think I think the consumer will spend. Uh, it, it will just be probably a little bit more. Um, um, you know, it will be a, considered a moderation when re- compared to last year. Uh, and uh, and I can ex- I would expect retailers to come out with some big price discounts. Can I offer for 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 the benefit of our audience and for the for the benefit of this conversation uh, some data points? And th- this is from Gabrielle Von Rouge, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly from CNBC. She had a story that came out over the weekend, came out Friday, and then was updated on Monday, November twentieth. And it was it's basically about retailers being a little bit antsy about sales this year. And actually that Black Friday, as far as it goes, you know, started for for many retailers in October. But in terms of the discounts, the largest discounts that are being offered, this is straight from from the chart that that accompanies her story. Apparel, average discount, 9%. Appliances, 6%. Computers, 13%. Electronics, 12%. Furniture, 5%. Sporting goods, 7%. Televisions, 8%. Toys, 5%. But if you go and you look at the chart, the vast majority of those categorical discounts this year are greater than they were in at the end of October 2022. So virtually every single category, with the exception of toys and electronics, the discount that's being offered this year is a factor in some cases of 2x or more than the discount was last year. And it makes sense, right? It makes sense because we just had a retail sales report that basically showed retail sales had kind of slowed, but they had slowed less than expected, right? In other words, yes, things are cooling, but uh, but not as fast as we would have thought. And so the consumer is still out there and retailers are basically giving them the price cuts that are necessary to make to make the math work and to, to keep them shopping. Uh, and we're seeing that kind of across the board, across the U.S. economy, right? Uh, we're seeing the consumer slowing down from a year ago, and we're, suing on, and we're seeing on the supply side discounts everywhere. You see it in retail. You see it in the housing market with builders giving, giving away rate buy-downs. You see it everywhere. You, you know, the economy is slowing. We're in a period of disinflation. And so that is, that is expected. Or obviously, happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to to you and all my friends, all of our listeners out there, and stay safe. Well, that will do it for our holiday abbreviated Center Square Radio Hour. Center Square Radio Hour is a production of America's Talking Network. It's produced by Eliana Kernodal. If you missed some of today's show, you can find it at americastalking.com. I'm Chris Krug, and on behalf of everyone at Franklin News Foundation, 
Thank you for listening to the Center Square Radio Hour. We hope you're having a great Thanksgiving weekend.